0: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 3 of Mr Kid's History at Home podcast where today we will be looking at the evacuation route during World War One. So before we go into the details of the, uh, the various stages of the evacuation process there are two acronyms that we need to be very familiar with for this unit. Now the first acronym is the RAMC. And this stands for the Royal Army Medical Corps. And this branch of the army was responsible for the medical care throughout World War I in the trenches and nearby. And it was formally founded in 1898. So it hadn't been around for too long. The second acronym is the FANY. And that is the First Aid Nursing Yeomanry. And this was founded in 1907. And it was the first women's voluntary organisation to send volunteers to the Western Front. So it provides frontline support for the medical services, so for the REMC. Um, An example would be driving ambulances. Another one would be engaging in emergency first aid. So the REMC is the the main bit of the the kind of medical care that soldiers get with some really, really important support from the FANY. Now we know that casualties during World War I, uh, because of the nature of trench warfare, they were a lot higher than anyone expected them to be. And this meant that it was essential that there was an efficient system to get the wounded away from the front line to a safe area where they could be treated. So we're going to look at the, the stages of that process now. Um, it is worth bearing in mind, however, that not these stages weren't always followed in exactly the same order religiously. It did differ for, for the casualty. So you've just got to bear in mind that in an ideal scenario, these are the stages but it's not always going to be exactly the case. So in and around the trenches and if possible out onto no man's land. The first medical response to any injuries, uh, in injuries or injured soldiers would be the stretcher bearers. So the stretcher bearers would ideally try and evacuate the uh, the injured soldier out of the danger zone as quickly as possible and as comfortably as possible. However it wasn't as always as easy as that. In an ideal world, stretcher bearers would come in, in um, four per stretcher. However, sometimes it wasn't enough. And the mud and the, the kind of sh- uh, shell holes and craters that had been created made it very difficult to manoeuvre men on stretchers. Similarly, the shape of the trench, which was a zigzag, don't forget, that made the movement of stretchers difficult too. Now, the stretchers would then take the injured soldier to the regimental aid post, the RAP. And this was generally located within about 200 metres of the front line, often in communication trenches or sometimes if there was in, it was in deserted buildings if there were some of those nearby. Um, the RAP was made up of a regimental medical officer with some help from stretcher bearers who had first aid knowledge. Wounded men would either walk in themselves if they were lucky enough, these were called the walking wounded, or be carried in on stretchers by other soldiers. And the purpose of the RAP was to give immediate first aid and to get as many men back to the fighting as possible. It couldn't deal with serious injuries because these had to be moved onto the next stage in the chain of evacuation. So in the RAP, all they really did was patch up soldiers who were only slightly injured and therefore fit enough to go back into the fighting. The next stage in the evacuation process was dressing stations and in theory there should have been an advanced dressing station which is an ADS about 400 meters from the regimental aid post and then a main dressing station an MDS a further half mile back away from the trenches. Now in practice this was normally not the case and there may only have been one dressing station so either an ADS or an MDS or a bit of an amalgamation of both Where possible, the dressing stations were located in abandoned buildings, dugouts or bunkers to try and make use of of buildings that were already there for extra protection. And this is because they were still within range of enemy shelling. Where these were not available, tents could be used and each dressing station would be staffed by around about 10 medical officers, medical orderlies. So those are, are like the kind of helpers who have a basic medical knowledge and the stretcher bearers. Of the the REMC, the Royal Army Medical Corps, and from nineteen fifteen, there were also some nurses available for this part of the chain of evacuation. Now, to get to the dressing station, men would either walk if they were walking wounded, or if they were able to, uh, if they were able to do so, or they would be carried um, in stages by the stretcher bearers. The people working at the dressing stations belonged to a unit of the REMC called the field ambulance. Um, Now, this is not to be confused with the vehicles that carried the sick and wounded, which were known as ambulance wagons. A a field ambulance unit could deal with 150 wounded men, but when major battles were taking place, they would have to deal with many more than this. So, for example, the field ambulance at Hooge in the Ypres salient during the Battle of Ypres dealt with about 1,000 casualties um, between the 10th and 11th of August 1917 alone. The field ambulance unit's Didn't have the facilities to tend to wounded men for more than a week, so men who had been treated would either be returned to their units to fight, if they were fit enough, or they would be moved on to the next phase of the chain chain of evacuation, either by a horse-drawn ambulance or a motorised ambulance. The next stage in the evacuation process were the Casualty Clearance Stations, or CCS. Uh, Now these were located a sufficient distance from the front line to provide some safety against attack, but they were still close enough to be accessible by the ambulance wagons. And often the CCS were closest to the front line would specialise in operating on the most critical injuries, and those are generally injuries to the chest because it involves the vital organs. And they were set up in buildings such as factories or schools, often ruins, and were often located near to a railway line so the next stage of the chain of evacuation could take place quickly. Now obviously this all depended on what was nearby so this is more like an ideal scenario. When wounded soldiers arrived at the casualty clearance station they were divided into three groups and this is a system called triage which you might be familiar with from modern hospitals still. And this is a French word that means sorting out. Now, this helped medical staff make decisions about the treatment. And the three categories that the triage would sort the wounded into are, one, the walking wounded. So these were the men who could be patched up and returned to the fighting. Now, often these men would already have been been dealt with um, further back down the evacuation process. Number two, those in need of hospital treatment. So these men would need to be transported to a base hospital, which we'll come to, Once they had been treated for any immediate life-threatening injuries. And then three, those who were so severely wounded that there was no chance of recovery. In other words, they were going to die. So these men would be made comfortable, um, but the medical resources available wouldn't be given to them. Okay, There was other people who needed the medical resources more in order to survive. These men would be comfortable and then in an ideal world they would pass away without too much pain. Some useful statistics about casualty clearing stations during the Third Battle of Ypres in 1917. So in the area around Ypres, there were 24 casualty clearing stations. And within these, there were 379 doctors and 502 nurses. And they treated more than 200,000 casualties. Um, the medical staff operated, so they carried out operations on 30% of the men who were admitted and in total, of the men admitted, 3.7% died. So 3.7% of them would have been fallen into that third category of no chance of recovery. Our final stage in the evacuation process was base hospitals, which I mentioned a, a minute or two ago. So the base hospitals on the western front were located near to the French and the Belgian coast. This is so the wounded men who were treated there could be close to the ports so they could be trans- transported home to Britain by boat. Now, at the start of the war, there were two types of base hospital, the stationary hospital and the general hospital. However, they both worked in very similar ways. So men were treated in both types of hospital until they could be returned to Britain for further treatment or, if they were lucky, they were fit enough to then return to the fighting. Now, as the war progressed, casualty clearing stations became increasingly important in dealing with wounds instead of base hospitals because it became clear that if a wound that was contaminated wasn't dealt with quickly, then it was more likely that trench foot or gangrene would develop. So this meant that the casualty clearing stations had to start doing operations because by the time a soldier with an infection got to the base hospital, the chances are it would be too late. So because the base hospitals weren't really kind of carrying out the roles they were initially intended for, they started to take on other important roles instead. So often it was in the base hospitals where new techniques, which were um, had never been done before, they were trialled. So, for example, by dividing patients up into different wards according to their wounds... So like amputees, head wounds, chest wounds, etc. And by allocating doctors to a specialised ward, it meant that doctors could become an expert in a treatment of a particular wound and get better and better at it. But despite this, the casualty clearance stations, they retained their role as probably the most important place for operations, this is because of the the trench warfare the fact that it was static it didn't move the casualty clearing stations weren't that far away from the trenches and they were being able to develop their skills themselves rather than having to transport the soldiers over a fairly long distance to the base hospital it wasn't until 1918 right at the end of the war that because of the involvement in the americans and the germans the last stitch kind of attempt to win the war that many of the casualty clearing stations were moved back and that was when the base hospitals actually started to be used for what they were intended in the first place. So there you have it, that is the evacuation route that was used on the Western Front during World War One. And for the exam you need to make sure that you're familiar with the order although like i said at the start it did change but the ideal order we'll call it of of one stage to another and you also need to know the difference so we need to make sure that we've got some facts about each one and what was done there okay thank you for listening and i will speak to you next time